You know, I want to begin by saying thank you to the missions committee who labor not only for this weekend, but all year long. We appreciate your hospitality. I know I speak on all the part of the missionaries for your many expressions of love that you give us. And I think I can state, I know for our family, we have had the longevity we've had and enjoyed life and ministry like we have because of the way you've stood by us. And we are grateful for this church. Terry and I joined this church about 20 years before the close of the last century. I love saying that. <laughs> gives, us, gives us a little vintage look. I know I don't need anything extra, but uh, we have been here a while, and we love it and enjoy it, and we thank you and appreciate that. Uh, I want you to know this morning, I have really battled. I counted a privilege to speak and to open God's Word. This is actually my fourth message for this morning that I started and stopped, and I trust by His Spirit that I have the words that He wants. Um, but the book that I've been in for about three months now is First Peter. And I want to read just a few sections from, but really First Peter follows very closely, I think, to where we are as a country and much of what we're seeing around the world. And I'm just going to start out with verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. You know, when you look at the context we know they lived in modern Turkey, and it's interesting. The majority of believers were immigrants, newcomers. And the interesting thing is they've been marginalized. They, they didn't have rights, and they were struggling just to exist there. Uh, we know many were slaves, which was a huge issue. We know also women at that point in time were without respect and struggled and, and, and were often considered as property. And then lastly, politically, they lived under a dictatorship. Uh, and when you look at it, there was social, political, every kind of issue you could think of in the context of this book. And I think when you look around our world today, we are dealing with a lot of those realities. And really, this ought to be a four-week series, and this is why I need God's wisdom. Uh, what I want this to be is an introduction, and I would like to, in some way, challenge you to take these thoughts as a beginning. And I hope that it would create a dialogue maybe at a personal level, as a church, in some way in your life, that you will not just simply take what's given, but you will reflect on it and continue to reflect on it because I believe it answers some critical things regarding the role of the church in today's world. Uh, before I go any further, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the church the church is what you have put here, O oh Lord, to be, to represent you. Uh, and I pray, O oh God, you'd help us in these days and times to know how to be salt and light in a world that is so divided, so conflictive, and struggling in so many ways. So I ask for your wisdom. I pray. I know people, some are encouraged, some are discouraged, some are happy, some are angry, uh, some are feeling strong, and others are feeling weak. So I pray your spirit would minister to every person here. And we trust you to do that, and we thank you, and we ask it in Christ's name, amen. You know, there's a tendency, I think, always to overstate things, but in my mind, uh, as I look at things, we are going through some tremendous tumult uh, tumultuous times, and the pace of change is as rapid as I've ever seen it, and I, I grew up in the chaos of the 60s, which probably many, and all oh, there are others of you that did that. And I was thinking what the 60s were like. In the 60s, I think of fear, racism, hate, selfishness, anger, anxiety, hopelessness, gangs, drug, and a long list, indifference. And the factors which we experienced in the 60s 
were not as, uh, we did not have the influence of the internet and social media. And I think that has amplified all of that. Uh, in, in the evil thrives in the midst of chaos. And I think that's why we're challenged to pray for those in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. Prayer moves evil men to be less evil, and it moves godly men to be more godly. And we need to be a people of prayer in these days. Uh, and I think one of the things that we have erred in, and please hear me on this, and I, want to, I hope I can say it in a way that you understand me, we continue to believe that we can educate or legislate or in some way do something that's going to get us out of the mess we're in. And none of that is going to do it. None of it. It just doesn't work. We need to understand that anything that is a solution, whether it's political, educational, or military culture, is temporal because it deals with that which is external, of cultural and who we are. And, and the issue, it doesn't touch, it doesn't change the heart. And that's ultimately what must happen for us to be able to impact this world is we have to change the hearts. And the only thing that will provide what we all desire socially, politically, in our world is a heart change. And, and if it comes out of there, it will be lasting. And I want you to track with me on this. Please hear me. Um, the only institution that's created to deal with the issues of the heart is the church, us. We're it. Nobody else has been called to deal with heart issues. We have a lot of people to deal with political issues, social issues, cultural issues, we are God's instrument for dealing with the heart. We are unique in that, and that's why our role is so important. And as I look around the world, I am fearful that not only here, but in many other places, when I'm in Central America, the, the need is the same. I'd preach the same message as I was in Honduras today, because it's no different there than it is here. The world needs the church. We need to be people that are focused on changing hearts. Uh, and I believe that we're in danger of losing sight of our central purpose that God has called us to. Uh, I think there's a danger that we can become overly focused on political processes or social reforms or whatever you want to put in there and, and lose the focus that God wants us to have on changing hearts. Now, hear me in this. We are to be citizens. We have uh, civil responsibility. We should vote. We should influence the political world. We should influence our world socially. But that is a distant second to what it means in the power of the Spirit influencing hearts. And the challenge is this. We live in a theocracy, believers. God is sovereign, and we are His servants. Or if you want to use the word actually, slaves. He rules, and we do. On an earthly level, we live in a democracy, a, a government by the people for the people. And we have the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And that's our right. But we get confused sometimes. Sometimes our theocratic rule demands that we sacrifice or don't exercise the rules that we have in a democracy. And I think it's extremely complex in today's world how those two match. And I would love to see evangelicals begin to dialogue about that tension. Living as, as theocratic believers in a democratic society is incredibly complex. Um, and again, the only thing that will permanently change us is changed hearts. And I believe the lack of clarity, and here's my concern, and please track with me, 
the longer we lose our focus, the more and more we get pulled into the political, the social, the cultural, the racial, all the chaos that's going on out there. And I fear we are losing our ability to be salt and light. Many people view us now as just another political influence, just another group of people with views. Uh, and we're just like everybody else, simply with a different set of values and beliefs. And it's compromising our ability to communicate, uh, clear, uh, uh, clearly communicate that we are God's people. We are redeemed, and more than anything, we're aliens in this world. We're strangers. Yes, we've got a lot invested here, but when it's all said and done, we don't belong here. And I believe we must live in such a way that that is always communicated. We are in this world, but we're not really of this world. And again, being responsible in our social responsibilities and those things that we should do. I want to read you what Peter says in, in uh, verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your souls. When we become overly focused on systems and proposed solutions in the process of this world, we lose that ability. And you know the words I like? As believers, there should be an otherness, an oddness, a difference about us. I love the word otherness. Let me read you a definition of the word otherness. It's a state or quality of being perceived as or treated as different, foreign, or strange. It describes a difference which is unexplainable as to its cause. It is strange and foreign, now listen to this, in that it has not been experienced and is beyond the understanding of the person observing it. And that's where it's all about. As believers, we are possessed by the Spirit of God. And when we manifest that otherness, they see God's Spirit, but it's beyond their understanding. It's beyond their experience. And it is that otherness that separates us from the world around us. And I want to give you an example. Uh, if you want to turn there, I've got it and I'll read. I'm sorry I didn't have time to put it on slides, but Acts 4.13. It says, Now when the men of the Sanhedrin, that is the Jewish high court, I'm reading out of the Amplified, saw the confidence and boldness of Peter and John and grasped the fact they were uneducated and untrained ordinary men, they were astounded and began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. And listen to this last part. I love this. They could not explain or give logical reason as to who these men were and the spiritual insights they expressed. That is otherness. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're called to manifest before the world. Um, it is His presence that gives us that otherness, and people should see us as unique, different, odd, because we're not of this world. Let me read you what Moses captured. Listen to Moses in Exodus 33. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, you know, they were getting ready to leave, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know you look favorably on me and on me and your people if you don't go with us? And listen to this. It is, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on earth. That's it. It's that otherness, his presence in us. And whenever we suppress that otherness or limit it, we lose our ability to influence others. I'm convinced if we don't wake up and refocus and, and really get back to asking, how is it that God wants to live through us in all this chaos, 
and that we can show an otherness, we're going to lose our ability to influence the culture in which we live. We need to reframe and renew our commitment to, to be yielded a life in the Spirit so that with people can see His presence in us. And let me say this, if we're faithful to do that, we will see political change. We will see social change. We will see those things we desire for our children. But it's not the other way around. We have to walk with Him. And at this point, you might be thinking, good, that's a great idea. Uh, got any ideas on how to do that? And I'll be very honest with you. I have more questions than I have answers. And that's why we need to have a dialogue. And every context is different. You folks work in places where you have to watch what you say and how you say it, or you'll be fired. It's a complex world. Uh, and there are no easy answers. And that's why I say this is a beginning. But I challenge us to begin to pray about it and to ask questions and, and of each other and to ponder it. Uh, there's two things we need to remember. God is sovereign, and we need to understand what it is He's called us to do and being His church. You know, if you're here and you're overwhelmed, this stuff scares you, you feel absolutely unprepared, like I do lots of times, and you're fearful, and, and again, just don't have the foggiest idea, you are number one on His list, that exact candidate He wants. So if you're here... Tune in with me. I want to read you real quickly uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 26 and 7. Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to privileged positions. But God chose those that the world thinks foolish to shame the, shame the wise and chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. We aren't dependent upon our abilities. We're dependent upon Him. And the weaker we are, the stronger he is. The scripture declares the sovereignty of God. And listen to this. Oh, God in the heavens. Oh, our God is in the heavens. And he does what he wishes. Daniel 4.35. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the peoples of earth. No one can stop him or say, what do you mean by doing these things? There's nothing too small are too great that he can't do. And I think he's simply waiting, and I speak more to myself than you, that we're willing to step out and believe him for who he says he is. As creator, he knows and understands every man and woman. I love Psalms 139, you know it. He formed our innermost parts. He knit us together. Uh, he knows us. And because of that, there's no place, no culture, no time, no context, where the gospel will not meet the needs of a man or woman, no, how, no matter how vile the life and how dark the darkness. So we don't have to worry in all this confusion, do we have the answer? Yes, we do. We need to always remember also it's God's plans and not ours. It's not dependent upon us. And I, and I challenge this. In a Western culture, we always focus on success. Uh, we aren't called to be successful, we're called to be faithful. I love success, but that shouldn't affect my faithfulness. And I want to just challenge us, and you may have been in a place you've been praying for people for years, keep on praying, keep being faithful, keep on going. Uh, God is able, and again, the weaker we are, the stronger He is. Secondly, our roles, and I'll read you a couple of my favorite verses. If you'll flip over, you're still in First Peter to chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, your royal priest, a holy nation for God's own possession. 
And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference. I like that one. He made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. It's this point, the sovereignty of God, and we as human men and women work with him. I don't understand it, but he has given us, and I've said this, there's no greater privilege than to walk and be used of the God of the universe. We are his chosen instruments. Everyone here, there's no one excluded. I, I, you know, I, people think it's finger point. That thrills me to death to know I'm in the game. I've spent too much of my life being excluded, and I am thrilled to know I have a role to play. Secondly, he says that we have been appointed as royal priests, and all that means is we're the instruments. We're shovels, forks, spoons, whatever you want to call it. It is through us that he has chosen to work the church, corporately and individually. And if we don't move and, and yield to him, he has no instruments through which he can work. And it makes no difference whether we are professionally trained as a pastor or, or maybe an elder or a teacher or a believer that's been in the Lord two months. We're all in this together. All of us have been called. And a priest is simply, I love the, you know what it means to be priest? To live with a daily consciousness of who we are and what we've been called to do. That's all it means. And it means that we guard our best uh, time, talents, and treasures and abilities to serve him. Lastly, our character is to be a holy nation. Uh, it doesn't imply perfection. Again, it simply means we are guarding who we are to be used for his glory and for his use. Now, our mission it, that's in the last part of verse 9. It says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. I hope you can still remember that, that, that what it was when you came to know Christ and how everything looked so different. And once we had no identity, I didn't, and now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, and now we have received mercy, Dear friends, I warn you, and listen to what he says again, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. We are called to be the people of God. Uh, and we are trophies of his grace. Uh, have you ever thought about what a trophy of grace looks like? It's, it's worth thinking about. I think a trophy of grace is certainly one who is compassionate and forgiving because we have all been forgiven. Uh, he is one that, as the old saying goes, he who has been forgiven much gives much. And I think it's a person that when they see others in the straits that they were in, they are quick to go their aid because they want to share the water and the freedom that they've been given. Now, this is we're to live as immigrants and foreigners. And all that means is we, above all things, have to assure that people know we are not of this world. That's a hard one. Uh, I've got a lot of interest in this world. I live in it. I've got a family in it. But this scripture and this whole book, if you'll read 1 Peter, I challenge you to read it tells us over and over again, you're not of this world. And you're going to suffer, but that's good if it glorifies me. And then you're going to suffer a little bit more, and then sometime I'll come back. And it's good because it glorifies me. 
Do we live in such a way, the things we espouse, the things that we're passionate about, if people look at us, do they, what do they identify me with? Do they see me? Am I passionate about football or politics or climate change or whatever you want to throw in there? Or do they genuinely see I live in another world and because of that, my ideas, my values, my passions are not like theirs. There's a difference there. Upon what is my identity based and how would others identify me? And again, we can do this. We can and, and, and we need to continue. I'm not talking about withdrawing into the mountains. We need to be socially responsible. We need to be engaged politically. But there's, again, an order and a priority here. And, and the question becomes, when people see me, how do they identify me? I confess I'm often tethered to this world. You know, tetherball. You knock that thing around, and it always spins around, but it doesn't go anywhere. And that's often a good description of my life. Um. But the question is, and I want to ask us, where do we belong? Who are we? What is it that drives us? And the answer to this question genuinely will shape our priorities, our conversation, our hopes, our fears, everything about us. He goes on to say, and there's a key word in this, we're to live properly among unbelieving neighbors. Verse 12, be careful to live, I love the word properly, among unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Again, we're their instrument and we are to model the life of Christ among them. You know, I've been in my journey as a believer. I've been through a thousand different kinds of strategies. I've been through, I can't tell you, countless strategies and missions. But you know what the strategy is? And it's very, very simple. We're to live among them. That's it. And if we were all doing that, we wouldn't need any strategies. That is the strategy. We wouldn't be trying to figure out what we can do all from the outside to make up for the fact that we've forgotten how to live among people, beside people. And when you look at the model of Christ, that's exactly what he did. He would be somewhere, and next thing he knew, he was right in the middle of people, so that he could express his love and his care for them. And it's in the chaos, the noise, the grind, the boredom, the conflicted, complicated world of daily life. That's where it happens. That's where that among comes. It's not something we do on Wednesday nights, or, or it's not something we have to come to the church to do. It most naturally happens. The only way we can be among people, and I'd ask you, where do you live? Where do you spend the majority of your time? Then how do you live among those people. And I believe that is the ambient, this among this, living alongside them, that we are to uh, win them. Let me read you this. This is uh, John 17, the, the, the prayer of Christ. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to this world just as I do not belong to this world. And that's the type of aliens we're to be. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world more than, any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. That is, set them apart. Teach them your word, which is truth. And then here's the part that I, I always, I just, I'm so challenged. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending you into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they may be hold, made holy by your truth. I think we forget sometimes he openly loved 
every radical thing there was in all the people, certainly in the week of Jerusalem, that he knew would crucify him at the end of the week. Um, he broke every cultural, social, political, religious rule that was in the book to be among people. He was constantly being accused of selling out because people saw him in those settings, and I can, I can see that. You know, what, what's he doing there? Um, but yet he was willing, and I think he modeled for us that because we live alongside people that are not approved in many ways of our values and beliefs, that there's something wrong with that. There is not. You know what it'd be like in today's world? Think about this. You know, we look in the Old Testament, we see prostitutes and tax collectors, but it'd be like a very conservative Republican, very pro-life, that one of his best friends is a very liberal Democrat that votes and holds everything in, in, in contradiction to his beliefs, and he is loving on him, not to change him politically, because that wouldn't work anyway. He's walking beside him with the belief that at some point, God will give him or her the ability to share the love of Christ. And with the hope that at some point, that otherness will come out in such a way that he will ask, what is the root of that? We're not talking about a dinner once a week. We're talking about living among people, sharing life together. It'd be like, again, um, my, my sister has a, a gay couple on their street, uh, and they have begun to befriend them on certain occasions. Not with, and it's not this deal where we're going to get them to a point and invite them to a conference, or we're going to get them to a point and do this. It is a commitment to say that I want you to know that I love you because God loves you. I don't affirm what you do, but I want you to know I value you enough to spend time with you. And I'm not going to put a condition on that because God didn't put any condition on me when he walked along beside me. And this is where the theocracy and democracy comes in. Again, we should have political values and persuasions and we should support that and, and work for legislation. But when that contradicts my ability to share the love and the person of Christ, I believe we are called to sacrifice that, to put that aside so that we can love and walk with people. If we don't do that, we'll never be able to reach them. And I believe our call is God's church. How do we do that? And if there's ever a need in today's world, we are the only people that have the power with all this noise going on to be able to offer a solution. And it's not a simple solution. It's not a quick solution. Again, we're talking about sharing life together with people that may dislike us, may hate us, may be doing everything they can do to destroy us. But when you look at the person of Christ, that's what he did. You know what? In me, there's so many days I, I want to run. I really do. I mean, I, just, I want out of here. Uh, had, when I was out at Reese, there were some guys that had a cabin, underground cabin down around, if you remember, uh, uh, down around uh, Big Ben. And they'd studied all the air currents and had all this stuff stored up. And I wish I knew where that underground cabin was because I'd like to go and get in it and, and like to get me a good big string TV and enjoy life hidden there until the Lord comes back. And I, I want to be honest, that's me. That is me to the hilt. 
Uh, I don't want to be exposed to them. Uh, I, I don't, in, in my flesh, I don't like people that are, that, are, that are opposed to godly things. I'm not drawn to them. They scare me. And I'm often afraid I will be more influenced by them than they are me. But you know what I was thinking about? You know why most of us don't like hospitals? They smell of sickness, and there's a lot of death. You can smell it when you walk in the hallway, that, that, that medical smell. And you know in every door you walk by, there's probably somebody in there that's suffering. And probably every third door, there's somebody that's probably waiting to die. Uh, I don't like hospitals a lot, and a lot of us don't. And you know what this building ought to be? Hospital. Uh, I think we've gotten in mind that a hospital and a good church is a church where you walk in and you ever hear a, a, a bad word, an inappropriate statement. Uh, but really, if we were a hospital, we would smell. And if we are called to reach the lost, then at some point we should have those people in here. And if, and if not so much even here, it should be true in my life. We should be in relationship with people that are terminally ill as we once were and we love them enough and, and we know the gospel is, mo is powerful enough to redeem them in the same way that he redeemed us. You know, I often say, you know, I was a sinner, but I what I did compared to this is nothing. Uh, and, and I kind of put I was down here and really today's world is down here but you know what the scripture says if you break one law you're guilty of them all I had the same darkness in my heart that would have manifested in every way possible and I am a convicted felon in the same way that they are I have the same disease as they have so there's no reason for me ever to think that there's any difference in me and them other than the grace of God we're all without Christ in the same place And the need of the hour are for churches that will struggle and risk living among the lost. And again, I'm not talking about running in and knocking doors or throwing something out, but you will look where God has placed you. And I am convinced if we opened up our eyes, every person in here, it's your work and your neighborhood, your friendships, God's got people around you. And my issue is I just don't see it. I don't want to see it. Uh, so I don't think there's anything you have to worry about. How am I going to do it? Just open your eyes up. Uh, we are all placed and have people that we can reach. And that the final thing is, we are the only heart doctors. We're it. And think about that. There's not going to be a president, a congress, Anything that's going to be done outside God's church and his people and his word that's going to change this world. Now, again, I'm not saying to give up on all that. But what I am saying is, are we doing what's most important? And I, when I look at missions, that's what it is. Uh, in one sense of the word, it starts right out this front door where we all live and work. And it goes to the ends of the earth. And the illustration I love about the church is you hold the rope. And I want us to be a vibrant church and a healthy church. Uh, I want to be a vibrant believer and a healthy believer. But may God cause us to struggle with the task before us, and may he move us to live among the lost. Let's pray.
Father, we are grateful that we are saved. And I think when I read 1 Peter, we have been chosen, we have been called, we have been made, again, holy. We've been given so much. And, and as it says, we are uh, trophies of His grace. And I pray you'd remind us of that. And Lord, what I've said this morning, I know is maybe, I don't know what it's done. I just pray you take it and use it in every heart. And I pray that you would teach us all how to live among the lost. You would teach us how to be, to, to be believers who have democratic liberties and responsibilities, but to never forget we live under theocracy, a God who is sovereign, a God who's given his word, and a God who has certain things that he wants us to do. And I pray in your grace and mercy you would never allow us to use any of our liberties to, to the degree that we would lose the ability to be identified as the people of God, as a lover of Christ, as a lover of men. And Lord, every context is different, every heart is different, and Father, I simply pray you would use this as beginning in every heart here, in my heart more than anyone, and you would teach us again how to glorify you and to serve you. And we trust you for your grace and power to do that. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Be seated, please. I just want to bring some closure to our weekend and uh, remind us of something. We don't have a missions conference weekend to talk about what has been. We have a missions weekend as a reminder of what we should be every day in every part of life. I just was reflecting this weekend as I listened on Friday night and the breakfast on Saturday and even from Keegan this morning. thought about Jim and Ellen who spent many years in China finding themselves in Seattle living in a neighborhood who's filled with internationals and took a ministry from another part of the world and transplanted it into their neighborhood where they're doing the same thing they've always done, just in a different place. I think about Chase and Erica, who were out at New Life Ranch bringing kids from Colcord, a community near the camp, into the camp to minister and reach out to them, but have been given the opportunity in recent months to buy property in that community next to that school where those kids uh, belong to take ministry that was at the camp into their neighborhood. I thought about John Walker, a very distinguished professor here at Tech, who has a unique opportunity to speak to a population that you and I probably can't relate to very well. I know I can't, they're much smarter than I am, and so uh, I don't know that I can relate to them, but John has a unique opportunity because of his skills and experience to take what he was doing here at Texas Tech and then enter into campuses and other parts of the world to speak to them about what it means to be faithful to Christ in a world that demands compromise. I thought about Gary and Kathy. I thought about the unique opportunity that he has to enter into places that you and I simply cannot go. As a Gentile, we cannot walk in and have a conversation with the rabbi in the synagogue. We just not, it's not possible. 
And so he's used the unique way that God has created him to speak to an audience so that he can take mission to where those people live. You see where I'm going with this? I think about Keegan, who clearly has a pastoral heart. He was on the field for many years, uh, serving alongside other pastors, now having a ministry to continue to care for those pastors who are out on the field to ensure that they walk with Christ and serve out of the overflow of what they've received from him. Think about Doug and Sherry, who are in a ministry of discipleship. And what do they do when they live life here at Melanie Park? Discipleship. How many of y'all had a chance to read Claire's newsletter? This last, uh, <clears throat> this last month, she had a meal with nine people, nine ladies, eight of whom were from eight different nations around the world. She had an opportunity to share, uh, have a conversation with a Muslim girl and a girl from South Korea. And one of them said this, this is beautiful. She said, look at their faces. They just light up when they talk about Jesus. The reason I share this with you is because you all have places where you live, where you have influence where you work, where God has uniquely gifted you and placed you. You are a missionary. This is not to look at what they do. This is to be reminded about what we are. We are missionaries. We are called by God, whom we serve alone, to speak for him in such a way that they see our faces and they say, do you see how they light up when they talk about Jesus? So when you leave this morning, no matter at what part you were involved in what took place this weekend, do not, do not miss the message of, what, who, of who we are and what we are called to do. And I want you to think deeply and I want you to talk meaningfully with others about where you are in this world and how God intends for you to leverage that influence for his namesake. And you talk about it often and you pray about it regularly. And let's just see how God works through his people when we actually fulfill what he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this church family. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for the privilege that we have to know these people for 30 plus years and they come home and it's like they've always been here because they're family. You've knit our hearts together. You've made us one. And Lord, please protect us from looking back at days gone by with nostalgia and, 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 and just thinking that, that those were the good times when we've been called to live faithfully throughout our lifetime wherever you've placed us for the purpose of proclaiming your name in such a winsome way that people may look and say, do you see their faces when they talk about Jesus? That's the otherness. That's the uniqueness. That may be the thing that they can't explain, but they can't deny. 
And may we be that people so that we can tell them what it is that makes us shine. The light of the world who broke into our darkness and redeemed our lives so that we can spend eternity with him. Praise you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a good day.